0: Welcome to Pastor's Class, a Bible study program brought to you by Tim Ministries and Crossover Church. We pray this podcast will help enrich and strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ and that it will lead you to read and study the scriptures more often. For more information about Tim Ministries and Crossover Church, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620.
1: Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Amen. And his mercy endures forever and ever. Reach up and take that hand next to you for a moment. Father, we thank you. We love you. We adore you, you. Thank you, God. We thank you, Father, for the internal presence of your Holy Spirit the helper to lead us and guide us into all truth. So we thank you, we receive it now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We didn't have opportunity to do this last week, but I wanted to take a moment. I think it'd be great for us to let Pastor Tanya know how much we appreciated that series she took us through. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight, I'm going to be sharing for a moment. And it's been uh, probably a few weeks since I've shared last. But they allowed me to speak tonight, so I want to make sure I jump in and hopefully not mess it up. Tonight, I want to take a moment, and I don't know if we're going to even get through this, but that's all right. A few weeks ago, I dealt with 316. 316. As we looked at John 3.16 and how Jesus was dealing with Nicodemus and the dialogue that they had and, and how it came to a point where Jesus made clear the heart of God when he said in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life in verse 17, and he sent his son into the world not to judge or condemn the world, but that the the world may be saved through him. Well, you know, there is a parallel section of scripture that lines up with John 3.16. And I would call it the theology, if you will, of John 3.16. It's in Ephesians chapter one, would you turn there? In Ephesians chapter one, and we see, if you will, a heavenly perspective of John 3.16 because we see the work of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in this, we begin to see some really wonderful things about, if you will, the providential work of God the Father, how God provided salvation for us, the redemptive work of God the Son, how he gave us access to that salvation, and the the confirmational work of the Holy Spirit as he sealed the salvation in our life. And how many know when you are saved, you are saved? Amen. That's the grace of God. So it's the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to save us and to seal us unto the day of redemption. And so in Ephesians, and I just love, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And it's, it's inescapable that even when I'm preaching, uh, it's hard for me just to kind of do a topical message. I want to go through the scripture and not just give you text, but context. Yes. What, what does this mean? What does it mean? What's the application of it? What did it mean to those early believers? What does it mean to us? And how can we apply that in our lives? So I just like to go through the scriptures. So in Ephesians chapter one, as we get down to the section that we're going to be dealing with, we got to set it up by just really going through the context. So chapter one of Ephesians in verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul makes two assertions here. He identifies himself as an apostle, an apostle of God. Apostolos is what it is in the Greek language. It's it's this idea of one who has been sent out or one who is a messenger And so Paul says, I'm a messenger. I've been sent out. Now we begin to look at this idea of apostolic ministry, those who are apostles. And when you look at it in the the New Testament, you begin to see they possess governmental influence and authority. They are a foundational ministry in the building up of the church. As if apostles indeed can give leadership to the church, can give leadership to other expressions of ministry. So the apostle lays the foundation to the church and the pastor nurtures that foundation, and the prophet cleanses the foundation, and the evangelist extends the foundation, and the teacher brings depth to the foundation. And so all those elements working together for the building up of the body of Christ. And so Paul says that I am an apostle of Christ Jesus, second assertion, by the will of God. I didn't get in this position, he's saying, by committee, by vote, that I wasn't selected by any, kind of God brought me here. And if you remember Paul's testimony, his, his experience, Paul was literally in confrontation with the head of the church, Christ, who knocked him down, if you will, off his horse, by revelation. And Paul would begin to discover something about the greatness of who indeed is the head of the church. So he says, by the will of God, I am an apostle. And there are two elements that come to play when we look at this. That when Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God, it speaks to two things. One is that Paul is speaking to the fact of his responsibility to the people of God. As an apostle, to teach, to enlarge, to speak into their experience, to give them direction, to confront, to correct them. But it also speaks to the responsibility of the people to receive him and the word that resides within him. So you see that many times in the New Testament, Paul will refer to himself as an apostle, Paul the apostle, Paul the apostle, Paul the apostle, and and servant of Christ Jesus. And Paul lays this foundation because it's interesting that many times we see there's this this reference, this, this side statement, are titles that important? And I think they are in the sense that it brings sobriety to the one who possesses it, and a sense of awareness and receptivity to those who must respond to it. And Paul is saying, I am an apostle. Understand, I'm I'm not just walking into your lives with no sense of divine accountability, nor any sense of team accountability. There were other people who were around Paul. And so he's saying, I'm an apostle. I have this, I've been sanctioned to build up the church and advance the church, and thus authority to speak into your lives. And so the church then has to respond, and we would see in many, many sections of the New Testament, the church received it, and sometimes the church didn't receive it to their own detriment. And he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That word saint is the word hagios, uh, H-A-G-I-O-S, if you're writing that down. Hagios, it means holy one that we are saints, we are holy ones. We don't have to go through the process of Catholicism to be made a saint. We are saints by the, by the very blood of the lamb. So this idea of being a saint is a status reference. It's the status that's been granted us by Jesus Christ. Once you come into the kingdom of God, it's not based on what you've done, it's based on what he's done. And what he's done has granted us the ability to be saints of God, holy ones. But there's something else in this verse that just explodes on me. He says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul's saying, I'm speaking, I'm writing, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring something to the church of Ephesus. The saints of Ephesus and those who are faithful, that is not a stat, that's not a, stat, a status reference, that's a character reference. That's a conduct reference. Paul is saying, in essence, I am writing to the faithful. I'm not writing to the unfaithful. It's only on the foundation of faithfulness that you can handle truth. So he said, I'm writing to a particular group of saints, to those who are living this, who are walking in it, who are standing in the faith. Now, I look at this and I go, wow, because here Paul is saying that I want to build something and I need people who own it so we can build because it's a building up of the body of Christ. And I think in our culture, in our day, it's easy for Christians to have a nominal existence in their walk with God because they can find so many other people who are nominal in their walk with God. And the call, the charge here of Scripture is that we are faithful. We are faithful. Yes. Now, four times in the Scriptures we see this phrase, and I'll use the King James version: "The just shall live by faith." The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. I believe it's in Habakkuk and in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. That phrase: "The just shall live by faith." Well, how do you know you're living by faith? By faithfulness, faithfulness to God. Ask somebody, are you faithful? Faithful to God, faithful in the things of God, doing what God has called you to do. Are you faithful? He says, I'm writing to the church of Ephesus, to the saints and those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, who take ownership of this and live it and manifest it in their life. Not just those who simply show up but those who indeed stand with a sense of connection to the heart and passion of God. You know, I have been thinking about this. There's a better, there's a better reference point than maybe what we've been using when we talk about identification with the church. We use the term member. But I believe the, the more biblical reference would be partnership. That's the word koinonia, to have something in common. That when you, when you come join a church, you're saying, I have something in common with this church. We're going the same direction. We, we are united in one purpose. We have vision together. We're standing together. And I think what the problem is, in many churches, we have a lot of members but no partners. And in order to get where we need to go, we need to be partnered together in the purpose of God. If you're a partner, say amen. amen. And so, here he says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, he's speaking over them, what a a greeting. He's saying, Caris, grace over you, favor over you, and divine serenity be over you. He wants the the best and the flow of God to be upon their lives in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 3, and maybe you've heard this verse before, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What a great verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Are you blessed? Has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, this idea of blessing, and, and when we talk about this, that... He says, blessed, blessed. That, that this word appears three times in that verse. You see it? Blessed, bless a blessing. That there, there are different word endings added to that, that Greek word, but it, the first time it appears, it occurs this idea of one who is worthy. And so, blessed be the God and Father, a worthy is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our full devotion. Worthy is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now, when you get to that second reference to bless, it carries this idea, to be endowed with the power to succeed, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. to be endowed with the power to succeed. So blessed, or blessed be the God and Father, or worthy is the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has endowed us with the power to succeed. Let me tell you something. You've got the ability in Christ Jesus to accomplish everything he puts in your hands. You are by birth, by spiritual birth, a winner in the kingdom of God. You have stepped out of the phase of being a loser to now being a winner in Christ Jesus. And everything you need, you possess in the Spirit who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, wait a minute, in heavenly places, let's see we look at this and we 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 see that in chapter one it talks about jesus being seated with christ jesus been seated with with god the father that is seated at the right hand of god the father high above all rule and authority and power in heavenly places and then in ephesians chapter two it tells us that we are seated with him in heavenly places well wait a minute where are you seated Right here at Crossover Church. (laughs) In the natural, you're seated here at Crossover Church. In heavenly places, in the spirit, you're seated with Christ far above all authority and power and rule. So understand that seated, that reality of being seated with Him in heavenly places speaks to the fact that we exist in a spiritual realm. See, we function in a natural realm, but, and I would say this, we are, we are ambassadors and visitors here in this natural realm, but we are citizens of the spiritual realm. That's why our warfare, true warfare, is not in the natural. It's in the spirit. True, true battle begins in the spirit. Success begins in the spirit. New birth begins in the spirit. We are realer in the spirit than we are in the natural. That's why we can't let the natural distract us. We can't get caught up in what we see and what we go through because, see, that's just a secondary, natural element. The reality is in the Spirit. So we know who we are in the Spirit. If we know who we are in the Spirit, nothing will stop us. So blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places In Christ, the worthy one has given you and endowed you with the ability to succeed. And he's granted you spiritual blessings. You got spiritual blessings. How did he give you the ability to succeed? Because he's given you spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in the unseen realm. So So he begins to walk through and show us what these spiritual blessings are. And that brings us to the first, I would call it the first stanza. Because these are like three sections of a song, if you will. And the first stanza is the providential work of the Father, what God has provided for us. God the Father has provided for us. And the end of that phrase, he says, and it's to the praise of his glory. It's as if he seals this part, this section, with a praise to God. You know, it's coming to a point where you ever seen something in God, and in the midst of it, before you go any further, you had to stop and just say, wait a minute, let me give him some praise. He, that is, this is too good. I can't wait to the end. I can't, I can't submit to the, just the normal decorum. I've, I've got to break in right now and give him some praise. He does that three times in this chapter. he just like It's to the praise of his glory. Well, the first element in the first area is the providential work of God the Father. God provided salvation. For God so loved the world. So God the Father provided salvation. And look what it says here. It says... Verse verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, let's stop there. It says he chose us. He chose us. This idea idea of being chosen is that he plucked us out. Imagine a crowd and he plucks us out the crowd. He, he selects us. God divinely selects us. Well, let me tell you something. The fact that you are chosen by God is a spiritual blessing. Yes. Amen. It's a spiritual blessing that God selected you. How, you ready for this? In spite of you. <laughs> that means he saw what you were and still got you. God chose you, he he got you, he he selected you, he plucked you out. Now think about it for a moment. The people you used to run with and hang with, and if God didn't step in, you would still be there. Maybe not with them, but in the same mentality, in the same bondage, in the same stronghold, but God plucked you out. (laughs) But God. But God, it's the goodness of God, it's the grace and mercy of Almighty God. And so just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that idea of foundation of the world from from all eternity, from eternity past, God chose you. Now think about it, God selected you, God plucked you out even before you were born. God selected you even before your mother conceived you. God selected you, and he plucked you out even before he created the world. God selected you even before you had ever sinned, or there was sin on the face of the earth. He selected you. Now, think about that. This is the eternal plan of God to have you as his own. See, now, I would think about If God chose me before the foundation of the earth, every day should be a good day for me. Every day should be a great day. He didn't have to, but he chose me. He selected me before the foundation of the earth, before anything, before I sinned, before there was sin. In matter of fact, the book of Revelation says this. It says the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. That means God made provision to save you even before the world existed and sin came. Wait a minute. How does God do that? Uh, he's God. He's God. He's omniscient, omniscient uh, omnipotent and omniscient. He knows all things. He understands the heart of mankind. And he made provision for man even before man sinned in his heart. And you were there in his heart before you were ever even born or the world was ever created. Tell somebody, "You're you're not a mistake. Amen. So he chose us in him before the foundation world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's our lot, to be holy. Hagios, holy. To be a holy one and to be blameless. Now, I want to tell you, to be holy and blameless... Anybody here blameless? What happened? Wait a minute. Are you, are you blameless? Uh, Doesn't sound too strong to me. The book of Colossians speaks about it. It says that we are holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Let me tell you where that is. That's a status reference. We're not talking about behavior now. We're talking about what the blood has done. What the blood has done. So let me ask you, is there anybody holy and blameless? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, if you put it that way, if you don't look at what I do, yes, yes, I'm, I'm holy and I'm blameless. I'm good. And so he says... He says here, that he chose for the family to earth that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. That phrase, kind intention of his will, appears again in this section. Just talking about the heart of God. But it says, he predestined us to adoption as sons, that here again, before we were... God had a plan for us. Think about destiny for a moment, that we have a destiny. Well, in God, we had a predestiny, that he had a destiny for us before we came to be. It existed in the heart of God. And he predestined us to adoption as sons. Now, he adopted us, right? He adopted us because now flesh is being adopted by spirit and brought into the family of God but it was interesting that in the time period in which Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the spirit under Roman law that a adopted son had the full status of a biological son and when God adopts us he brings us into the family of God and we don't ever have to be considered an outsider. We don't have to be considered second rate. We are the children of the living God. As many as receive him to them, he gave right, to be called, right and authority to be called the children of God. So we are children of God. He has adopted us in. Now think about it. The reality of adoption, especially if you're adopting an older child, then you are adopting a child that has history. I mean, let me ask you, when you got saved, did you have history? That means God knew what you were and still took you. See, when it comes to a biological child, you have no choice. Right? That's your child. Right? You don't go, oh, no, I don't want this one. No, you had that child. You got to take him home. You make a choice with an adopted child. God saw us for all that we were, and he still loved us and still wanted us and brought him to himself. And so we see here, he says, adoption as sons. Now we're still on the issue of the work of the Father, what the Father has done. It says here, and he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, his heart, his grace, his favor toward us, and to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. So here Paul just says, you know what? When I think about what the Father has done, i got to pause for a moment. I just got to give him some praise. Thank He. Look at the spiritual blessings he's granted me, that he chose me, he plucked me out, he adopted me, he predestined me. These are all spiritual expressions of the blessing of God upon our life. Let me say something. God's been good to us. God has been good way, 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 way better than we've been to ourselves. God's been good to us. He had every reason not to favor us, but he does. He chose us. Now, you know what? In the master plan of God, all we can do is be grateful. Don't, we, don't try to figure all this out. But see, the reality is, the Bible says there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and many are those that go by it. That means are, the majority of people in society are going to hell. But there's a narrow road that leads to life, and few are those who take it. And that the road that leads to eternity with God is a narrow road. And in, and, and in relationship to the broader road, is a smaller road. It's, a, it's fewer people, but it's God's grace that selects us to be a part of that smaller road. So don't let what this world says about you and, and the statement and try to undermine and, and say you're not relevant or significant or, or, and begins to come against the standards we hold dear. Understand something. You've been selected and adopted. It's the grace of God that has brought us to this time. And we should, in the face of whatever the world says, we should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, dear God, that you've been good to me. They don't see it, but I see it now. I see this is the love of God. This is the goodness of God. And you've made me a son or a daughter. I belong to you. Here we see something. Not only did he predestine us, and we see the celebration. It says at the end of that verse, it says, who has freely bestowed bestowed upon us in the beloved. The beloved. That's another name for Jesus the beloved. And it says here, in him we have redemption. Okay, now that brings us to the second area. That's the redemptive work of the son, that the son enacted our salvation. The father established it. That's his providential work. The son indeed in, released it and caused us to have access to it by the fact that he redeemed us. And so it says here that, here it is, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now, this idea to be redeemed is the idea really of release, like releasing a slave or a prisoner. That he's redeemed us, he's released us. It also carries the idea to purchase. Did you know the Bible says that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price? It's always interesting that we, we see these reference points in our society that a woman has a right over her own body. And it seems that that could be applicable to a man, that he has a right over his own body. Well, the Bible says you don't. Right. Did you know that? Okay, I'm going to say that again. Amen. It's in the Bible. Yeah. The Bible says you don't have a right over your own body. Amen. That means your body belongs to God. Did you not know... That when you come to God, that you become doulos. Doulos is a reference; it's servant. It really means slave. That you, that God's your master. Everything belongs to Him, including your body, Amen. including your body. Amen. <laughs> Maybe you're just pondering this. Maybe you have to process. But but it's reality. You God doesn't just want your soul. He wants all of you, not just your spirit. He wants all of you, not just some collective thoughts on Sunday morning. He wants all of you. And so you've been bought with a price. You belong to him. You've been redeemed and purchased. You've been set free that he didn't set you free in order for you to run your life. Amen, amen, hallelujah. He sets you free to live in the freedom of his authority over your life. For he in whom the sun sets free is free indeed. In other words, if you follow him, you will stay in freedom. Once you veer away from him, you open the door to bondage and strongholds in your life. But if you stay with him, you will live in freedom. So he in whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Perfect freedom. Now, I know we're covering a lot of stuff. Am I going too fast for you? Okay, good because we still may, maybe we're not going to make it, but let's see. Okay, so it says here, (laughs) in him we have redemption through through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know what? Redemption sounds like it is a blessing, a spiritual blessing in heavenly places, right? Redemption. And forgiveness, it's a spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and He has forgiven our trespasses. That's the full landscape of all our sin, our sin nature, our sin behavior, our sin status. All has been forgiven, it's been forgiven by the grace and love of God. Did you know the Bible says, If any man is in Christ, He's a new creation, old things pass away. And that in Christ, you become a new person with a new nature, yes. his nature. You know what the problem is? You say, I got a new nature and I'm forgiven and all that. Why do I still act the way I do? That's because your mind hasn't caught up with your, the realization of who you are in Christ. That's why the Bible charges us to do what? Renew our mind. Gear and align our mind with the purpose of God. So it says here, it says forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace god's grace is rich toward us you remember the passage and i believe it's second corinthians where it says i think chapter 8 verse 9 uh, for you know the grace of our lord jesus that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor that through his poverty you may become rich so we have the riches of his grace grace that rich grace brought us into salvation and then he says this which he lavished on us Grace was lavished. He just poured it out on us and poured it out on us. You know, God wants us. I mean, he just didn't choose us. He wants us. It's something to be wanted. Right? I mean, it is really something. That's why so many people get in trouble because they want to be wanted. Right? And so they settle for anything that looks like somebody wanting them. God wants us. But his love toward us is pure and righteous. He loves us. And so here we see, oh, I'm trying to get there. Come on. It says here, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. Here again, that phrase, according to the kind intention, his kind intention which he has purposed in him. This idea of the mystery. Now, I love this because... I think sometimes we look at God's will and God's word. It's like a mystery trying to figure out some mystery novel. No, no. It's the idea here that mystery is something that was once concealed but now revealed. And God makes his will known. God is not trying to hide something from you. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to grow in him. He wants you to know his mind so you can live his mind. So the mystery, it says in Colossians, that has been hidden for the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is, that was something concealed, but now it's revealed and you can live in it. God has turned the lights on. Let me tell you something, that's where we all were. That's my testimony, I believe that's your testimony, that before you were saved, you, you were living in the midst of the mystery, right? Then when you got saved, what was concealed became revealed. And, you, and your response was, if I had known this earlier, but you, never, you didn't see it earlier. You couldn't see it. It was a mystery to you. You couldn't figure it out. Why would somebody want to live for God? Why would somebody want to be dedicated to Christ? Why would somebody turn their life over to Jesus? It was a mystery to you. But what happened? What was concealed is now revealed. God turned the lights on and you could see it. And now you're grateful to be a child of God. <laughs> With view, verse 10, to an administration suitable for the, to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Okay, so we see something here. Is that with a view of, to an administration suitable for the fullness of time? One thing we need to understand about God, and I won't even use any cross references, but it's there. You can, you can see in Ephesians, you can see it in other places, that God is an administrator. I'm going to say this God is an administrator. And it's so interesting how we can make a disconnect with the fact that God is an administrator, because somehow, We And and especially in in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, we seem to glorify disorder. You know, when when things are out of control and we don't know where it's going, it must be God. And he's saying God, God administrates, God establishes. I got to read one passage. Look at this in chapter three. It says in verse 8, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom may be made known might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God has an administrative plan. He's revealing what he's doing, and he's making it known through the church so he can send a message to every demon and every principality of his rule and authority and power. But so God can, God administrated, when I say administrated, he chose you before the foundation of the earth, right? That was long before you came. That's administration. That He already had a plan for your life and had a predestiny for you even before you were created. That's administration. So if God can do that, I don't know why we get all caught up when God can lay out an outline for a service and call us to stay within that parameter. Yes. Oh, the administrator God, and it doesn't get spiritual until we veer out of it. Wait a minute, God can lay it down from eternity past. Because he has a vision bigger than what we're doing in the moment. He had to clarify that too. Not only is he an administrative God, he's not a God of confusion. And you know the context in which that appeared? In 1 Corinthians, where there was a manifestation of the gifts and disorder took place and people were doing stuff out of line. God says, I'm an administrator. Therefore, don't bring confusion into my house. There's order in my house. Amen. Amen. (laughs) So the fullness of time, that is going to reveal all that he had in store for us in Christ. And that we may obtain, we we may have an inheritance that's predestined. An inheritance. That we have an inheritance. It, It sounds, again, like a spiritual blessing. We have an inheritance in God. That God has something great for us, and we are present partakers, and we're going to be future partakers. You might, to live is Christ. We are here. We have an inheritance now. We're in Christ. But to die is gain. There's even more in store for us as believers. So we have an inheritance in him. That's why if we know who we are, and we know the inheritance we have in him, we don't get jealous we don't submit to insecurity when somebody else is blessed. We don't get into a, a realm of criticism or cynicism because somebody else seems to have what we don't have. Amen. So we see this in the, in the reality of Luke 15, the story of the, the prodigal son, right? And when the son comes back after spending all his time on loose living and all that stuff and, and going through all his resources that the, uh, his share of the inheritance wiped it out, he comes back and the father receives him and they have a party, and they kill the fatted calf, and they dance, and and you could hear the sound of them dancing, and it was so great. And in that moment, the oldest son comes in and says, when the son of yours, he says that to the father, when the son of yours comes back, almost like he wanted to cuss or something, he says, (laughs) he says, when he comes back, you kill the fatted calf and throw a party for him. And I've been here, I've been faithful, I've been consistent, I've been doing what you want me to do. And the father responded to him and said, do you not know all that is mine is yours? See, you, you got so caught up in how I blessed somebody else that you lost sight of what you already have. We have an inheritance. Sounds like a spiritual gift to me, a spiritual blessing. Okay, so here in verse 12, it says to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. So Paul, being a part of that first generation of Christian believers, makes this affirmation that we should be celebrating God. Now, the last section. Hey, all right, let's see. And that is, we said, the providential work of the Father, the redemptive work of the Son, and the what? We didn't get to it yet, right? I stated it in the beginning, though. And the confirming work of the Holy Spirit. And so here we see, it says, it says in verse 13, in him, in Christ, that is, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so he says, look, you heard the gospel, you listened to it, and, and something was stirred in you about the gospel. And you responded, but also you had to believe it. It's not enough to be stirred. It's not enough just to hear it. you got to receive it. you got to believe it. That's the key that turns the door, that opens you into a realm of salvation. you got to believe it, And not just how you want to believe, but the, the prescribed plan in which he wants you to believe, fully devoted to him. And he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise. There was a Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus says that when I leave, the helper will come. The helper, Holy Spirit, he will guide and lead you into all truth. The Spirit, and so we see that the 120 were gathered waiting in the upper room for the promise, the Holy Spirit that would come. And the Holy Spirit is that, that part of the Godhead, the personality that comes, and he comes to seal us. Now, the reality of being sealed, there are three basic concepts of being sealed behind the idea of being sealed. Number one, to be sealed is to authenticate as genuine. To seal something is to authenticate as genuine. Number two, it means to render secure. You remember the tomb had a seal, a Roman seal on it. And number three, it means, and it denotes ownership when you put your seal on it. So the Holy Spirit comes and he seals us that we are He's affirming the fact that we are genuine. We belong to God. He's affirming the fact that we are secure now. The security of your salvation. Amen. Amen. I, I don't want to go each day like, I got it, but I may lose it. I got it, but I may lose it. That I'm secure in him by his very residence in me. And the fact that I belong to God. And then this last verse, it says, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He's given to us as a pledge. Uh, That word pledge, uh, uh, that word pledge I've got to, okay, let's see. Pledge, I'm going to try to, I didn't do this earlier, but it would be that, Erebon. Uh, that word Erebon, pledge, was used to describe the practice of a first installment. Let's say it this way. Anybody ever put something on layaway? Yes. Did it, right? Uh-huh. Anybody still do layaway? OK, so if you don't find me with the practice of layaway, <laughs> layaway is not holding something. Holding something is when you say, I'll be back tomorrow. Can you hold it? Layaway is when I put something down and I say it's a statement. I'm putting something down and I'm coming back for it. The Holy Spirit is the first installment that Christ is coming back for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he's the arabon, He is the seal and he's the pledge, the pledge of Almighty God. Now this word arabon in modern Greek was used to describe and used to speak of an engagement ring, an engagement ring. And so an engagement ring is placed on the finger and the Egyptians believe that from the th- that third finger, that from the third finger, there was a vein that flowed up the up the hand, up the arm, all the way to the heart. And, matter of fact, the, the Greeks and the Romans referred to it as the vein of love. Wow. That's why don't let anybody tell you they love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, and they're not ready to put a ring on it. Amen. Amen. That they're not ready to put a first installment a deposit on their love. Otherwise, they just got you on hold. (laughs) 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 Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit is a pledge. He's our seal. And the Holy Spirit is with us. And so the book of Jude concludes with this statement, now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us holy on that day. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God that walks us through life. It's like that bride on her wedding day, and she's walking down the aisle, but no, she's not walking down the aisle by herself. She's walking down the aisle with the presence of her father. And he's walking her down, and just' may, it's a special day, she may be nervous, a little jittery, right? And, and, and he's standing here, and he's holding her hands, and it's all right. We're going to make it down there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's walking us down the aisle of life and to present us to Christ. Hallelujah, to the praise of His glory. Amen, stand with me.
0: Thank you for listening to Pastor's class. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more messages and Bible study teachings, please visit www.CrossoverChurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. If you live in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, come visit us at our home location, 5340 Baltimore Avenue, Hyatt'sville, Maryland, 20781. Pastors' Class is a weekly Bible study that occurs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our home location. We would love for you to join us. May God bless you and guide you as you continue to study to show thyself approved in the grace of Christ Jesus.